I questioned it every day when I left the UK for months and months when I was mm. sleeping rough and in the cold and the wet snow. And, but then I got after a while, I got used to it. Mm. it. It all became the norm and I got used to how to live from a bike and how to live from a tent in the cold and the wet. And then it, we just, it just became normal, didn't it? Hello, I'm Anne Dibbon. And this is Unexpected Turns, where we delve into the lives of the bold, brave, truly inspirational people whose lives have taken an unexpected turn. Today's guests, Gab Skullbraith and Chris O'Hare, sold up house and home to cycle around the world. As if that wasn't enough of a challenge, they started their cycle just 10 days after Gabs had finished her cancer treatment. And I'm absolutely delighted they've agreed to be our very first guests on our very first episode of Unexpected Turns. I first met Chris and Gabs at Lake Garda in 2018. You couldn't miss them. Two fully laden bikes, banners, t-shirts, flags, all labelled Chris and Gabs World Cycling Tour for Prevent Breast Cancer. Along with my co-hosts, Bev and Julie, we chat to Chris and Gabs at a very busy, pretty hectic farmhouse in central Georgia. Woo! Okay. <laughs> oh, it's nice to meet you after all these um, messages to and fro Meet you as well. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Where are you? Whereabouts in the UK are you? We're, we're in Southampton, Julie and I. And Beverly's... Yeah, I'm in South Wales, in Brecon, right in the middle of the, of the Brecon's National Park. Okay. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous. It is. Really nice. We're at a little house, somebody's home. Um, so uh, we're going to be cooking Georgian food tonight with them because it's the um, harvest time for the grapes here in Georgia. So tomorrow we're going grape picking and grape crushing because the family have their own vineyard. Oh, that sounds <laughs> wonderful, Gabs. How long have you been with this family that you're with now? We only arrived today, yeah. And you're already great picking and partying with them. That sounds yes, good. Yes, we will yeah. be later, yeah. It does sound really good. Could you tell us a bit about why you decided to cycle around the world to raise awareness for breast cancer? I will, yes. Because my family has a history of breast cancer and other cancers. And and then my best, our best friend, Pat, quickly got ill with ovarian cancer and we were planning on going to Vietnam and cycling around the world from there, India. I thought, well, I'll go in to the family history clinic because I knew I had a one in three chance and talk about uh, prevention, whether it was worth me having prevention surgery. Uh, so while I was away cycling, I could think about it and decide whether I could go through with having the surgery so while I was there she sent me to the Nightingale Centre uh, to have a mammogram because I'd never had any then we got a call about a week later and said you've got uh, breast cancer so I went for all that surgery and I was very much oblivious to it all and said to Chris right when I've recovered we'll be back on our bikes on the 1st of May and we can go and Chris was going Oh, no, I don't think so. It's, you know, and I'm going, what are you worried about? I'm just, I'll be fine. So we went back to the consultant two weeks later and he said, oh, I'm really sorry. You've got this really 
aggressive, her, her, her two, two, her two positive yeah. cancer and it's travelled to your lymph nodes and now you've got to have chemo, herceptive, oh, yeah. more surgery. And I was like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be going cycling. So for a year and a half, you know what it's like, hospital back, hospital back, being ill, this, that, and poor Chris couldn't go anywhere looking after me. So it was while we were in the treatment, coming to the end, wasn't it, the Herceptin, we were living in France in our other camper van, and I used to fly back every three weeks to the Christie's. And then Chris came up with this great idea that, you know, we need to do something. And so he came up with Cycling the World and for Prevent Breast like Cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just like that. He was like, come on, because we'd met and we were cyclists and we'd always just gone, let's go cycle there, let's go do this. So yeah. it was like, yeah, let's go, let's do it, let's plan it. And Prevent Breast Cancer, we got to know them because my consultant and Nightingales is part of Breast Cancer Charity. It was like a big family, so we just didn't want to just say goodbye. So that was it, wasn't it? We mm. planned from Spain there to cycle the world. And uh, 10 days oh. after finishing my treatment in Christie's, we were at the Nightingale Centre cycling off. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. <laughs> Amazing. We couldn't get oh, away gosh. quick enough. Chris couldn't get away quick enough. <laughs> he was like, I didn't know. You make that sound really simple, but it wasn't quite that easy, was it? It was hard for you when yeah, yeah. losing friends. Yeah. A lot of people, we lost a lot of friends and family. Uh, yeah. Too scared to quite talk few, to yeah. us, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I think meant lost them to cancer. Because we lost yeah. a few friends to cancer we as lost, well. Yeah. At oh. the same time been diagnosed at the same time or just after and it just all happened so quick so we lost like Pat, we lost yeah, Pat. Th- three friends yeah, in the in that same Within time a few scale, yeah. Yeah, cycling. Oh, yeah we lost quite a few and then we lost a lot of friends and family scared to talk to us and didn't want to know us and yeah so it was difficult yeah, yeah. it was more difficult for Chris I was going through the cancer so I was just focused on the chemo and all that you had to Look after me, you know. It was difficult. <laughs> Huge challenge. Yes, <laughs> extremely. He goes now. I don't want to talk about it anymore. No, no, it doesn't bother. Me. No, I'll talk about anything. I've got nothing, you know. I don't <laughs> mind. It's like, um, but yeah, it was a, it, it was difficult being caged. Like I was like a caged animal, yeah. really, was, because I packed in work a long time ago. Like I retired ten years ago when I was thirty six. So I got and I. Long story, oh. I, emig- I sold my company, emigrated to Australia with my wife at the time and my son. It didn't quite work out. I, got, I came back, got divorced, and then so I just started doing more travelling. And cycling. Yeah, and cycling, that was my thing. Fundraising yeah, for orphanages. Lots, yeah, and, lots of fundraisers. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we met, yeah. So we, when we met, we oh. were always off cycling, doing fundraisers. And it was, we'd only been together, what, a year and a half, something, two years? Yeah, a year and a half. We'd only been together like a year and a half, then I got cancer and poor Chrissy's life was turned upside down again. (laughs) Grounded again. (laughs) Wow. Still here, still here. But you're there and (laughs) and you've made made it out to Georgia. This wasn't part of the plan, uh, getting all the way to Thailand and then being grounded with COVID. So, yeah, it's... No, I... 
I was about to ask you how, how COVID has affected you, you know, yourselves personally and your travelling. Well, it, like I said, we got, we got all the way to Thailand, which was, that was sort of like the main goal was getting back to PP Island in Thailand. But we didn't, little did we know we'd be there for like seven months because we were, like for me, my number one place is getting to like it's, uh, India. Uh, India and Nepal. So I was so close. <laughs> but they closed the they closed the country down, and it's obviously still not much better either. Well, so. on BP Island for for COVID, we were like in paradise because it's a tiny, it's a paradise island, and yeah. all the tourists had left. Oh. So there was just me and Chris camping on this beautiful beach, and we got to know the know the locals and the sea gypsies. So lockdown was pretty good for us, really. Wow, <laughs> for you're a point. right. Yeah. <laughs> how do the locals perceive what you're doing how, how do they perceive you and your journey uh, i think we're crazy yeah. really don't they? different in different countries yeah. isn't it but we've always had a lot of support every country we've been to we've not had any trouble or no. anything some countries around europe it was great because we could raise awareness of breast cancer and we used to go to camp societies sure. and well like here in, Ge- in georgia we met with europa donna in Georgia, just over when we first cycled through Georgia, like over two years ago now, because yeah. that was interesting because they don't have any support in Georgia. You know, we met ladies that were, there was a lady who was pretty, I think she was terminal with bone cancer, but yeah. she couldn't afford the treatment she needed was 25,000 euros. But the average wage here is about 150 euros a month. Yeah. I mean, you think of that, so she needed 20,000. Good. Another lady who was, she'd had a first first chemo, one of six, um, but she need, she, she obviously she has to pay for it each time, so she was trying to raise money for and a second one, chemo. which was going to cost, I think, two two thousand five hundred US dollars. So okay. obviously doing oh, chemo, and then she had to. Yeah, it was really bad. She, you know, she yeah. couldn't continue, which obviously the chemo wasn't working, and yeah, it's, so in Georgia, it's, well, in most countries, it's very difficult. Yeah. So that encouraged us more to keep going and cycling and raise awareness and money because people at home, you forget, you know, how lucky you are with the NHS yeah. treatment I had. And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. was amazing. It was unbelievable. And until you're in that situation, you, you, you don't realise it's there, all these surgeons, researchers, mm. all trying to find cures and... You know, you just expect it, don't you? You just go, right, okay. Take it very much for granted, sure. There was was definitely a lady, it was when we were in the UK, actually, and we had a few of these, but in the UK, we I don't know where we were, we were down south somewhere, we'd stopped on our... And as you know, we, we're, we're usually heavily branded our T-shirts. I'm still wearing my T-shirt from... Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> but by our, you know, our, our bicycles, everything's covered. It's, it has our website on it. And we was, we'd gone into a shop just to get some water. And there was a lady at a bus stop just across the road. And she'd, she'd been paying attention to our bikes. And she obviously went on her phone and, and looked at, what's this all about? This Chris and Gab's World Cycling Tour. Obviously, so prevent breast cancer, but she just said to us earlier that morning, she was in the shower and she found a lump in one of her breasts. But she just thought, ah, 
leave it. Leave it. I've not got time for that. There'll be nothing. It'll go. And then then she said after talking to us and reading our story, she was going to obviously get it checked. She was going to get checked up. and She made an appointment there. And then while she was at the bus stop to go to the doctors, and obviously she was talking to us and we were saying, do it, you know, got nothing to lose. So, uh, yeah, so she found that, you know, she obviously found she had... um, early stages of breast cancer so we kept in touch yeah. didn't we yeah so it was yeah you know so we've had a few stories like that which yeah it's, so that's that's exactly inspiring yeah keeps you going yeah. and that's yeah. probably worth more than raising some money you know yeah. trying to save somebody's life and making them aware that go to the doctor well know. for us raising money is difficult especially on Very the road as everyone yeah. knows fundraising is hard but raising awareness is really easy really Definitely. And inspiring other people. For me personally, when I was diagnosed, I thought, well, you know, Chris and Gabs, I've met them. Yeah. They're still traveling the world. Yeah, yeah. It has been a real inspiration knowing that you have carried on traveling around the world. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. But for some people, it can be a wake up call as well. You know, like do something with your life. You know, it's. it's yeah, like, yeah. Don't sit no. around moaning, life's too short. Yeah. Don't worry about the death no. of your hair or whatever, no. or the wrinkle on your face, no. or it's not important. No. Go and live your life. Yeah, and looking at your website, you seem to have got, you know, involved with a lot of local communities along the way. Yeah, we have. I was partic- particularly in Thailand, I was. I noticed, you know, your your skills, canoe <laughs> repairing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we... Uh, yeah. We fundraise for one of the sea gypsies, um, long tail boat. So Chris got involved with that. Yeah, the boat had been struck by, by lightning. lightning yeah. so, and that's their that's their livelihood, the fishing boat, and it serves like twenty yes. people because they just that's what they do every day. They go out fish, fish catch the food, um, and and you know, and so we, yeah, we rebuilt two boats with help of with help from people. From- Amazing. Um, and 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 sadly, it's you know it's even worse there now because. There's no you know, since, since we left there, they've not earned any money from tourism. Um, yeah, so it's, it's tough. But they'll survive again because they do. They live off the sea. You know, it's, yeah. they will survive. Yeah. They don't need much, do they? Yeah. No, simple life. And then we, yeah. because while we was on the island, believe it or not, we managed to get a good internet connection because they have a telephone mast on the island <laughs> on the far side. So it that was a fundraising. And it gave us something to it do. Gave us something it? to do, yeah. So we used to get a, a boat which would go to the mainland every every other week and get lots of food, like you know, rice and so on. And we used to do food parcels and clothing for. I think in the end we did it was like for three hundred people. We used to. Or do they call them happy, happy meals or something? Yeah. something like that. Yeah, we used to go around on a, oh. a, like a little tuk tuk, yeah. giving out food parcels to in everyone the jungle. in the jungle. jungle. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Incredible. Yeah. I remember seeing that. That was quite something, all those bags of food and mm. how grateful everybody was as well. Yeah. And then we put on a meal one night, didn't we? Yeah. And cooked everybody a meal. So the whole village <laughs> all came for a meal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right on cue. Right on cue. That's we've we've rescued a dog about ten days ago. So we're training. Oh, because oh, he's protective. Yeah, he's lovely. 
But anyway, <laughs> yeah, make sure that's another. Oh no! Well, another story. again, I noticed that story. That was amazing. So how how is Mister Sniff, Sniff doing? He's lovely. He's doing really well. He gets on really well with Comet. Oh, he's gorgeous, and he's is from day one. He's like done everything with us. He got in the van. He's been on the motorbike. He's been on a bicycle. And it's just so loving. Oh, it's got to come in. Is it? Well, oh, and Comet. Yeah. So we're fundraising to try and get him back to the UK. <laughs> yes, I did notice he looks super well there. He yeah, looks very healthy and yeah, well. Yeah, he's been to the vets. He's had all his vaccines. He's had all tests. So in three months, he should be ready to travel. You're going to miss him. I will miss him, yeah. yeah. If we lived a normal life and we weren't travelling around and we'd keep him, but because he's such a big dog, it's uh, difficult to... Mm. And we've got to fly back to Thailand to continue cycling. Yes, talking of that, when when do you plan to start? You restart your cycling tour? I'd I'd go... See, see, (laughs) I don't want to wait because it's like, this is going to go on. I don't think COVID's going to go anywhere, so we just want to continue as soon as we're able to. That dog now is delaying us till December, so yeah, uh, which okay. is a good thing because we can travel around. We can go into Armenia, Azerbaijan, yeah, and but there's still a lot of restrictions. Isn't it? it is uh, difficult in countries because we we thought we could just while we're waiting go into back into the stands, but us um, Kazakhstan's got restrictions. Yeah. We can't really get into Kazakhstan because we left Thailand. Number one, because of visa issues, because we'd, we'd been there seven months. But we thought, oh, we'll fly back to Italy. We'll get the dog. And then you, you're going go to see your mum in the UK. But then, you know, because of, again, COVID, we couldn't do that from Italy. So we went to Spain. Couldn't do it from there. Still couldn't do it from there. <laughs> so to Georgia. Now we're on the red list and we can't get in. Yeah. You mentioned there about visas. How do you manage with visas for all the different countries? I mean... My son's a cyclist and a lot of his friends, including his partner, have really struggled with getting abroad and being on the continent because of the Brexit issues and not having visas. When we set off, obviously, we're in Brexit, so Europe and everything was okay, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, China, we had to get the visa before we left the UK because you could only get your visa in your home country. So there was a panic there, wasn't there, to get to China before your visa yeah. ran out? We, we got, like, for China, it was a, it's called a two-year two multi, multiple-entry visa. Yeah. You know, you can go into China for three months, but then you've got to come back out and go back in. But you don't have to go to the UK. You can get an agent in the UK, but you just have to post your passport yeah. from wherever you are in the world back to the UK. They'll do it all for you. And so, yeah. But you've got to have your passport yeah. for some countries sent back to the UK. Well, we just used to work on every next country we knew if you needed a visa or get it yeah, we to, planned to, it to be honest a lot of countries that, well they, they, before pre-covid they were easy enough you yeah. could uh, either do them at the border um some countries it's quite easy depends how much money you're willing to pay there's quite a few which are e-visas you just do them online yeah yeah even some yeah. of the stands i think i think kazakhstan was even an e visa yeah we couldn't go to russia at the time because russia wasn't letting the brits in right um no. again that something there was something going on political and we couldn't go through um, iran, iran and we still can't cuz we're british no. so that's that's go through um 
we to, that's why we sailed across the uh, Caspian, Caspian Sea. So, yeah. Very difficult. And luckily, <laughs> and we, we cycled the border of Afghanistan exactly. when we was in Tajikistan, <laughs> going over the Pamir Highway. So luckily, we can say we've been, been there. Well, yeah. Um, Very difficult Afghanistan. at the moment as well. Now, Gavs and Chris, you've mentioned a little bit about China. Julie's daughter spent about eight months in China. Well, we went to visit her um, while she was out there to have a, like an extended holiday, really including a proper tour and then doing some things on our own. But it was quite complicated getting the permission to go and to travel and everything. So just wonder, how did you manage China was that? a very strange country, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. we'd, we'd cycled through the stands and we, we crossed the border in a place called um, Saritash, which was in Kyrgyzstan, into China, Western China into a place called Kashgar. So I think half of China mm. is like, you know, from West is desert, but uh, Kashgar is the most heavily secured, patrolled part of China. It's crazy. It took us seven hours to get through um, border control. Well, we was actually interrogated for seven hours. We were put in a room with five officers and they were, looking for your phone, yeah, your pictures, phone. Were your iPads. Looking yeah. at your photographs, your videos, your messages, emails, everything. You know, and then you get asked the same question by another officer and another officer. They're like, why you come China? Where you go? How much money? How do you get your money? And, and it's like same, and it's like they're really paranoid, yeah. So and when we got through every first, what, that was the first, first border. border, then there was another one. But through that part of China, every what mile, not five, even five kilometers, yeah, they there'd be a checkpoint, even for the locals. So they'd stop. Yeah, you have to get off your bike, show your passport, and this kept going on and well, on and on. The, the road in China, really Western difficult. China. So when you get through the first main border, you you have to get into a, a vehicle. It's like the military take you for the for 70 kilometers because the first part of China is it's almost like concentration camps for Muslims. Mm. They have little villages with military and razor yeah. wire around because in China they've got rid of yeah. mosques and so they've been put in these little villages. No. They don't want you to see it. Yeah. So they put you in a vehicle 70 kilometers and then you go th into the next border through the next border checkpoint, which is Kashgar. And um, yeah, and that's it, isn't it? You, and the road, either side of the road, you can see the desert, but it's just razor wire, so you can't actually come off the road. So we used to camp under the little bridge. Every every night we'd have to go under a bridge and put the tents up under the bridge. Couldn't use Google, you couldn't use Facebook. No. That was only because we, we were yeah. following the Silk Road through like Europe and the stands, and, and, it, and it all started in central China in a place called Cheyenne, where the terracotta army is. So once we yeah. got to central China, got better. it was a lot better because it became touristy. But yeah, the real side of China is not a real, not really the nicest of places, is it? No. no. So now it's very military. So did that take you, you by surprise yeah. that it was as extreme? Yeah, because again, in, in Kash, because we, the first city we came to was Kashgar. We nearly city. left, didn't we? Yeah, and it yeah. was like a fortress, the city. So you, you have to be, again, checked as you go in. And then there's military every every... On the streets, every 10 metres, there was a soldier. There was, a going mm. on, there was tank, tanks coming down the road. Going to a shop, you'd be scanned and there'd be military on the doors. And yeah, I think they're paranoid about the neighbouring countries because I think they've had some attacks in previous years. So they're heavily mm. militarised, yeah. aren't they? Mm. 
But we actually had a great time. Though. Yeah, it was after we relaxed after a few days, didn't we? And it we, we got used to it and we enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. But difficult yeah. to do things, yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to do anything in China because they don't really want to speak to you if you speak English. Is when we you're getting taxes or anything in China and they don't understand you and they don't want to speak to you. They do this. It means no. No, like the X Factor sign. And at first I thought they were saying X Factor, oh, like that, but no, they meant no, no. So everyone would go like that to say, no, we can't help, no, we don't want to talk to you. <laughs> well, we got but used it was to experience. it. Yeah, I we're, it. It we're good. glad we went, yeah, and stuck it out. Very different, very different. and the people are so different yeah because as well. again when we was on the border because when when we was in georgia like two and a half years ago there was a lot of protesting going on here because 20 percent of georgia is occupied by russia mm. so there's always some friction here and and there were some other issues going on here and then there was something called a, the freedom like the peace march so i because i like to film everything i joined in the, the some of the marches and these, you know, they were throwing like smoke flares around. And anyway, this, so they saw the Chinese authorities saw all this on my phone. So they thought I was maybe some activist <laughs> or something. So that was one of the. Other, like, oh, yeah. It took so long mm-hmm. to get through, yeah. But and then, so when I said, "Well, oh, this was Georgia. It was a peace march," and they're like, "Georgia? They don't even know where yeah, Georgia, Georgia is." is. They? So we had to show them on. We had to show get the map, map out, show them. A lot of the Chinese people don't know anything about the outside world no well they had to open all our bags every bag every little bag anything they opened everything so and we were there hours so we started going and they didn't know what things were but we'd go made in china so we were like having a and we'd all go made in china yeah because i i always carry um i've always carried my drone with me and again in a lot of countries like especially the stands in china are forbidden so I'm take it into pieces and hide things and so yeah oh. it was uh, it was always quite nerve wracking some of yeah. the board and they ask you have you got a drone do you have drone it's like no I have a drone <laughs> no in pieces yeah. I have well, they, they found mm. the propellers they didn't they didn't have anything else but they found the they have lots of spare propellers and and they were all they all gathered around it like five of the officers and they were holding up going drone drone and so I said, no, no. And I have one of those things from a phone, you know, when you can plug like yeah, a fan yeah. into your phone. Oh, yeah. And I had one yeah. of them and it looks very similar to a drone propeller. So I said, no, no, look, fan. And they were like, oh, and they all oh. laughed. And <laughs> so we got, yeah, we were okay. We got yeah. through with it. <laughs> well, we were in China at a good time because it was, what, the 75th anniversary? Yeah, it was anniversary the, since the, they founded the Republic, People's Republic of China. China. Yeah, it was so it's a big two-week holiday, wasn't it? Yeah, they call it yeah. they call it Golden Week, but it goes on for two weeks, and so everybody in China is on holiday, on holiday and, and it is so busy. It's like crazy. So it, as crazy as it was, it was it probably the best time to, to enter China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Are you never frightened? You know, when like in Kazakhstan, you were faced with guns, and in China, you were interrogated, and now you're in the middle of a protest. No, it's- I'm all right because I hide behind Chris because <laughs> Chris has a machete and a baton and his muscles. So Sorry, I was no. like behind him. Yeah, but it's, I feel all right. <laughs> when when you're involved with it, it's like a slow progression, and you got you're already used to that country, and 
Yeah, you get when we were cycling to Tajikistan, and we was always stopped by soldiers would just appear out of the mountains, and then we'd see all the soldiers and people in um, Afghanistan. But we'd been cycling through there for weeks and and, and camping, and you just you just you're yeah. used to it, aren't you? And it's so the soldiers. Yeah, I don't think there's any country that you've felt really unnervy. But I think, like Chris says, because we, we were cycling for so long, it just becomes the norm. And when you get into a country, you just adapt really quickly to the mm. culture and people, don't you? So Even with the soldiers. Really and that was in the, in the forest in Uzbekistan with, like, the initially 30 soldiers and then more. It, we thought we've done nothing wrong, so you always yeah. think like that. I, I love, I love mm. that confidence that you've got. Mm. That it's just yeah. all going to be yeah. fine. Yeah. So you don't feel I, vulnerable I, then at all. For me, I, I quite like. I don't look for trouble or anything, but if I get in a situation, I quite like. That. I've always been into like um, adrenaline sports and things. I like to scare myself <laughs> really, really <laughs> off. You know, I used to, I used to jump out planes for a hobby and things, and I love the feeling. It's, and every time I did that, it used to scare me. But I just love the, I just yeah, love, to, you I like love the feeling, the adrenaline yeah. rush. <laughs> so even in them situations, it's it's the same feeling. And I'm just stupid. I just go, yeah, Chris. He goes, let's do this, and I go, all right then, I'll do that. <laughs> oh well, camp here. All right, okay. <laughs> but we don't do I just stupid, go with the flow. No, we don't do silly things. We don't do things on purpose. It's just that no. you might be in a country where yeah, there's soldiers, so. It's yeah. It should. It's the norm, though, yeah. isn't it? Have you ever felt vulnerable at all during your travels? Not scared so much as it's up, borders are always border crossings are yeah. always nerve wracking because each country is mm. different and do things different, and and you don't know if you're gonna get somebody who's in a bad mood or you, yeah. I always get nervous when I come to a border. Yeah. And like, if they'll let Chris through, then they won't let me through, or then they want money, and or they take things off you. It, that's all nervy yeah. for me. Yeah, but I'm always worried about my drone. <laughs> <laughs> when you're at a border, you've just got to. If it if it's going to take seven hours, if it's going to take two days, I just think, well, it doesn't matter because I'm in no rush no, anywhere. No rush. And if they want to lock me up for a couple of days, which has happened in the past. We've, we were put in a cell once and, you know, no fault of our own. It was just they wouldn't let us through the border. And there was, you know, so we just... border was closed. Yeah, they yeah. decided to close the border. So, so we put us in a prison cell for the night. And just, yeah. It was fine. <laughs> so it was somewhere to Prison, stop. prison, prison being... Did you just take it in your stride? <laughs> it was like an experience, wasn't it? It, it was, was in, in yeah, Burma. It was in, yeah, Myanmar. Myanmar. And it was... In the Top of some mountain. So we'd spent like three days traveling through the mountains and camping, but it's forbidden to camp in oh, Myanmar. Right. Um, you have to stay in a hotel. You have to yeah. stay in a hotel, but most hotels aren't foreigners aren't allowed in the hotels. So, but the way we went, there was no hotels anyway because we was in southern Myanmar, heading to Thailand. So we got we got to the border late at night at ten o'clock, and it was pitch black, and it's just military there. There's there's no Nothing there. there's no villages no. or anything for for a couple of days and. Yeah, and they just said, uh, they were sort of like, what What should we do with them? Because they, like, they were shocked that we'd come up the mountain <laughs> on our bikes and where we'd come from. Yeah. <laughs> I bet yeah. they were. Yeah, At first, as we sat for about an hour, didn't we, in the office, and they're just flicking through your passport and roaming and ahhing and then put us in the cell. But they didn't lock a, us in. We just had to sleep in it the It was just office. a tin, like a tin hut. Yeah. It's horrible, and, yeah. 
yeah, it was very dirty. Nice. But, but again, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was somewhere to see. It was late at night, so it didn't, it doesn't matter. And then in the morning, we crossed the border. Fascinating. Yeah, well, they're the I, I see these. Yeah. These are the highlights. Yeah, I love the fact that they're the highlights. Keep coming back to Georgia. It's, it's a good it's part of the world. Good hub. See the surrounding countries, especially the the stands like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and Tajikistan. It, in a way, it's it's been my favorite my favorite countries for adventure because you can go for weeks and weeks without seeing anybody because it's like deserts and very mountainous in in Tajikistan. So there's not many places left in the world where you can go traveling and not and it's like untouched yeah. you feel like you're the only people you know you're the first people there yeah pure and yeah. culture as well it's not like being in europe and no it's same we like something different different cultures and also in georgia as well the visa's dead easy isn't it it's a 12 months you can stay for 12 months but then you only have to leave for the day and come, come back, back across the border so it's back. like yeah. yeah and you can do lots of things here like you can um open a bank account um you can buy yeah. a car you can see so can there's no everything's easy, everything's easy yeah. Yeah. and it's super cheap how do you fund yourself is this all of your savings or <laughs> <laughs> basically actually, like i said i retired 10 years ago so i, I sold my company and I, I i put some money into property so i get a rent like i get a rental income every month um, and I have some savings, so yeah, basically just just live off savings and and rental income. I have offered to go to work, but he said no. We have to keep cycling. Oh, sounds good. It's not like it's not that <laughs> it's not like I've got loads of money. It's just that the countries that we obviously like Georgia and so on. It's it's very easy to live off off the income and save the way that we travel. Yeah. You know, if it was in, it'd and be we different. Can't. You know, if we was in Australia or something, it'd be a lot harder. Cost of living, etc. Yeah, it's yeah. very easy. Like in Southeast Asia, my Southeast Asia is my favourite, but again, it's super cheap there. You were saying you've been in Southeast, you know, Asia a lot. How do you manage with all your medical checkups and your medicine and everything? How does all that work? Um, you said you've got the vaccines. Yeah. Okay. Um, for me, because I'm on tamoxifen. It's pretty easy. At first, it was a bit panicky because I bought all a big supply from the UK and I was relying on my mum to get it and post it out. But that, when I'm further away from the UK, that couldn't happen. So we went to a hospital in Vietnam and I had all checkups done that I needed. You yeah, know, because you had a scare. Yeah, I had a scare. Mm. I was bleeding heavily for days and days and I was panicking. So we went to Vietnam. A lovely hospital and again it's super cheap so it just said i'll have this test that test that test and i had everything done uh that was fine and then in thailand we found a hospital that would supply tamoxifen for us okay. at a good price and then i in georgia i can just buy them over the counter without yeah. a prescription really i love the way that you're just so relaxed about that yeah there's nothing more really I can do. When we first left England, because it was still new, the cancer, we'd only, I'd only finished treatment. And every little cough, cold, pain thing, it was like, oh, my God, I'm ill. What was going to happen? And we were phoning the consultant and he's going, it's all right. Just relax. You know, you'll be fine. So as the 
years went on, we're a bit more laid back now, aren't we? We're not as panicky. And I loved what you said earlier about the fact that, you know, this cancer has made you actually stand back and think, well, what the heck am I worrying about my hair yeah. for in that yeah. pimple on my face? Uh, yeah. You know, I need to live. I love that. Well, it was when I was going that. through chemo and I didn't really see my sister's for some reason and my mum phoned me just oblivious because I couldn't see her because she just had a heart attack and she just had heart surgery so we couldn't meet and she phoned me said oh it's terrible Rebecca's been to the hairdressers and the hair was a funny colour and she came back crying so I had to go to the hairdressers and there's me there with a bald head just come back from chemo and thinking I really cannot get upset about yeah, no. I mean, you say those are the highlights, but have you ever questioned what you're doing when you're out on this journey? I questioned it every day when I left the UK for months and months when I was mm. sleeping rough and in the cold and the wet snow, and and I was going to Chris. Why am I doing this? I'm like a homeless person, and I'm really, and I. But then I got you after a while. I got used to it. Mm. It, it all became the norm and I got used to how to live from a bike and how to live from a tent in the cold and the wet. And then it, it we just it just became normal, didn't it? I, I, but, que- I questioned it when, I think it wasn't until <laughs> I was in Thailand, actually, and I thought, you know, COVID hits us and I thought, oh, maybe it's not a bad thing because it was getting really tiresome yeah. travelling and I wanted a break anyway. And then I wasn't too sure. what I was started having second thoughts about... Because, uh, because, like I said, I had my, from leaving school, I had my own company until I was, like I say, thirty six. And sometimes I miss that, and you know, having that purpose of getting up in the morning and something to do. Whereas travelling's, yeah, the only thing I've got to do is get up in the morning and pack your tent and, and cuddle. Basically, again, long story short, my friend, one of my good friends, has been following me along well, since we set off on the cycling tour and so he's he's a businessman and he's always been saying to me we should get into business with each other and all this and and then two years ago his son his 18 year old son was diagnosed with cancer and he was like stage four cancer he was given four days to live but he's he's absolutely fine doing now. Well, yeah, he's doing he, well. yeah he's luckily he got it he got a second diagnosis and it was caught just in time by days and he was put on the right treatments and and he's like I say he's 20 he's 20 now and he's a healthy guy and, but so we mate Pete he came out just an half ago wasn't it yeah talk about business and things and it's like and he's so he's sort of confirmed to me that I'm, I never want to go back into that world of business because <laughs> you want to keep traveling he's obsessed with money and because even after his son's can't you know this whole cancer journey for him he, he said to me oh since then I've sold a few of my companies and I want to, I want to start traveling myself, and you know it's not all about money. And anyway, he came out to see me, and he's he's just the same person. Mm. He's motivated by money and business, and I'm like, no, I'm just waiting now to get back on the road and get on your just, bike, yeah. uh, carry on. So that's the only time I question myself, and uh, I won't question it again. Uh. <laughs> Do you think you partly questioned yourself because your journey had been stopped by COVID? No, I think in a way I was glad COVID happened in a way in Thailand because we would have, we would have only stayed in Thailand three weeks and we'd have continued and but COVID stopped us and I thought yeah okay it was a great experience you know being on the island for four months 
and people are always like oh god you're in paradise though and it's like you know you want to try four months with him <laughs> like we lived from a cave from a tent with mm. so little supplies and after doesn't matter where you are it can be well that was paradise yeah but even that was too much wasn't it? Yeah. yeah you get bored <laughs> so so once we left the island we went to the mainland it was just nice to have a bit of a normal Socialize, life. Yes. Speak to people. Go and eat food in a restaurant. And <laughs> but sometimes you don't speak to anybody because you can't because of the language. Then it's just <laughs> us two. So. And we made some friends. Yeah. So it's good to speak to other people but and then, have a different conversation. But then that's enough. Like now, I meet expats in, in the capital here, Tbilisi. I've met some friends and I don't know. After a while, people begin to annoy me. <laughs> I just want to. But clearly, you not not each other. Phil, you're saying too much, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, like it's too normal. It becomes normal life again. Not therapy, though. People are moaning about. No, but they are. I mean, so many. It's just normal, isn't it? So yeah. People moaning about everyday mm, yeah. things. Yeah, and you think, what are you moaning about that for? Yeah, it's and that. I'm back into that world of normality, even though in Georgia. It's like it's need time to move on. <laughs> Do you remember the old American TV series yeah. called The Littlest Hobo? Traveled it was like an Alsatian dog. Place, yeah. He used to travel. Yeah. And he used to help people. Yeah. <laughs> well, when when you ever listen to that soundtrack, you know, listen to the lyrics to it, and, I, and we can really relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that's that's one of the things is you meet friends, but then you you have to say goodbye. Yeah. That's the, probably the lon- yeah. a lonely side of yeah. travelling is you meet you, you can meet really on. nice yeah. people, but then it's like yeah. maybe tomorrow we'll find another Aww. friend, and that's that's what that's we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Do you feel you're happy where you are now with what you're doing, and just generally where you are? I'm yeah, I'm always happy. I'm happy. I'm I'm Chris never. Chris is on and off happy. I've, I've <laughs> never satisfied. No, never. I've always been told throughout my life I'll never I'm never content I'm never mm-hmm. happy with what I've got and I'm always looking for something better and, and that's probably what that's probably what keeps me going anyway you know like like cycling the world it gives me the motivation because it doesn't matter how far I go I always want to go further unfortunately it's quite a quite a difficult to link, live it's a difficult thing to live <laughs> with it's not ever being content with what you've got and being happy with that but I look at it as a good thing in a way because it makes me do so many things you know but i'll never and i just say come on if he goes should we do this should we do that i say just go and do it what's the worst can happen you know you don't like it then you go and do something else it's like she's, you know? she thought she was staying in georgia for longer and we've got this buhanka van and, <laughs> but we've we've been using it for a while now and i'm, I'm i just want to move on and she's like now. oh my god i've just got, I've got my <laughs> I want to get back on my back. It sounds like you, you really complement each other in that way, though. Well, right? we're still together after yeah. everything. and <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. I feel like, uh, you know, because we've gone and got this van and and I don't know, I, I don't like to be too materialistic. It's like, I feel like I've just gained possession. I've been travelling the world with just a bicycle and a tent, and now we're gaining all this. <laughs> two dogs, two dogs, yeah, a van and a bike. So it's I sort of like panics me a bit, and it's like I need to, I need to like reevaluate, get rid of this clutter, and get back on the road. <laughs> <laughs> clutter. 
Wow. No, I do think I do think the less you've got, the, the happier you can be. And most people that we meet in these parts of the world have got very little, yeah. but they're a lot happier than we always found the people yeah. that didn't really have anything were the happiest and would give you anything and help you, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've less to yeah. think about. It's like, yeah. I know they struggle, but the, but the more you have, happy. the more I think yeah. the more problems you bring yourself. Fascinating attitude. Are you proud of what you've achieved so far? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I look back at photos and go, oh my goodness, can't believe I did that. I can't believe I camped there. I can't believe I even made it all the way to Thailand on my bike. So yeah, I am proud of myself. Mm. You know, if I look at a photograph, it motivates me and wants me to because it does. If I start looking back at pictures from, you know, whichever country, yeah. it just makes me really do miss it and I want to get back on yeah. the road. I don't, I don't like being stuck. It's getting darker and darker now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. It is. Well, I won't, I won't keep you much longer, but okay. is, is there anything you feel we should have asked that we haven't asked? I think we've mentioned everything there, yeah. Our scariest moments, highlights. Some people, yeah, we've been asked how long will you carry on for? Have you got a, have you got like a, because we did have a time scale to it, which was seven years. And that was literally because A to B, the route took seven years. So, <laughs> and already we're more than one year behind because of COVID. But we also, but we also spent longer in each country than, than. So we're probably about two years behind. But then there's no, there isn't a time scale to it. It's actually indefinite. I just want to carry on. Just keep going. Sure, definitely. lots of incredible adventures to come, definitely. You know, health permitting, but yeah. It's been absolutely fascinating yeah. talking to you. To be honest, I could talk to you on and on. And <laughs> I just want to say it's been lovely to meet you both and, and have, have a wonderful evening okay. tonight with the family. Yeah, we will, yes. Thank you. And I'll be organised next time. You're welcome. <laughs> The incredible Chris and Gabs. As you might expect of Chris and Gabs, things haven't quite gone to plan. They're not cycling around the world. In fact, they've settled down in Georgia and have bought a rundown house that they are completely renovating. Jura House. Do you remember right at the beginning of uh, the podcast, we heard Mr Sniff, a dog that they'd found in the mountains and nurtured back to health. The plan had been to find him forever home in the UK, but he's still with them. And along with him, they have rescued another 17 dogs, all of whom they are nurturing back to health and supporting at House Jura. So I don't think they're going to be going anywhere soon. Oh, and along the way, they've got married. So congratulations, Chris and Gabs. We are delighted for you. They will, they say, continue their journey at some time. But meanwhile, they've got other projects they're doing. Do follow them. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. World Cycling Tour 2. Till next time. Bye. If you have any feedback, criticism, positive or negative, is always welcome. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.